Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. What makes Mike Florio the expert? You're about to find out. This is Pro Football Talk Live with Mike Florio on NBC Sports Radio. It's a Wednesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN. Hello, everyone. We are continuing to provide you with some diversion during this unusual upside-down time when more and more people are working at home. I think a third of the country is working at home. So as part of your morning routine, as you ease into the requirements of getting to your video conferences and working on your spreadsheets or doing whatever else it is you do when you work at home. All we do is talk about football, so I can't relate to anything anyone else is doing. We are working at home, even though it's not work. We're talking about football, and we're here for another two-hour edition of PFT Live on NBCSN and the final two hours of NBC Sports Radio. Good morning, Christopher. How are you? Good morning, Michael. I'm doing well, man. I'm uh, still getting used to this routine. It, It is different, and I tried to we tried to kind of like Jimmy rig this little system today. I was going to have a better mic and a better earpiece, and it was going to be on a little bit better of a camera option. I couldn't get it all figured out, and uh, we're back to FaceTime. But nonetheless, uh, I'm, it, it's just weird. I almost want to walk out one door of my house and walk in the other door and be like, okay, I'm ready for work just to get back in the routine because uh, I, I am having a hard time kind of getting getting into that normal everyday uh, OCD way I have about me when I'm when I'm in my football mode. Well, I am hoping that the audio improves just a little bit, not because I want to hear your voice more clearly, but because yesterday during a break, I detected the clucking of your chickens outside your window. I want to be able to hear the chickens during the segment. So, all right. Well, I'll see. They're just waking up. So I'm sure if anybody listens closely as the show goes on, you'll hear them because they're waiting for somebody to come out there and let them out so they can roam, roam around the yard. Dude, I'm the guy that's in West Virginia. 
I'm I'm the one that should have the chicken as the background noise, not the guy who's in Greenwich, Connecticut, folks, one of the richest towns in the entire nation. Judge Judy lives next door to him, and he's got chickens. I can only imagine what Judge Judy thinks. Wouldn't that be funny if Judge Judy took you to court over your chickens? <laughs> it, would, it would be. She lives a little ways down the road, and... Uh, like I, I know, told but the you, story but, works better if I say she lives next door. You gotta, we gotta roll with that one. Well, I can tell you this: I, I live in a very nice town, like you talked about. I am the poorest man on my street. I think I've said that before. Uh, there's some high rollers here for sure. Beautiful country back here, though. There really is. Oldest country store in our country is just right down the road from here. So that just tells you how long the area has been around. And yeah, even though it's not far from outside uh, the New York City, I think people would be surprised to see the countryside here in you know Connecticut and New York. All right, uh, let's get right to it. The big news yesterday, something that we saw coming as of last week, although four weeks ago, Panthers coach Matt Rule was trying to sell a different reality about how excited he was to coach Cam Newton. That was the last ditch effort, I think, to get a team interested in trading for Cam Newton. Act like you're going to keep him. Maybe someone will come around and make you a trade offer. It ultimately was not to be. No trade partners available, especially because no team could bring Cam Newton in for a physical. So as we both predicted, Chris, the Panthers cut the cord on Cam Newton yesterday. The number one overall pick in the 2011 draft, the 2015 league MVP, gone from Carolina a free agent for the first time in his career, able to sign with anyone. And, oh, my goodness, the thought of having that guy available. And I know there's this vague sense of what can he really do because of the injuries, but he supposedly healed. He passed a physical. Now, look, he wants to pass that physical, and the Panthers want him to pass that physical. That's a Panthers physical, not some other team poking and prodding and making sure that he's good to go. But still... As far as the Panthers are concerned, as far as he's concerned, he's healthy, he's available, and now we wait to see who makes a run at him. I, I wasn't surprised by it, Chris, but it still is. There's something that's just jarring, just as jarring as it is to see Tom Brady signing with the Buccaneers. It's jarring to see the Panthers cutting Cam Newton. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, he's uh, you could argue he's the, the most famous player to play in that franchise history. I know there's been some other good ones there, but... You know, certainly the most notable quarterback, one of the freakiest specimens we've ever seen at the quarterback position or in the NFL at all. He's a game changer. I mean, that's why you didn't expect him to be on a different team. He was the number one pick of the draft, the Heisman. He's built like a defensive end. You know, we see what Lamar Jackson and these running quarterbacks that we have right now in football can do uh, to defenses. Well, Cam Newton was a little ahead of his time. You know, no, he wasn't the runner Lamar Jackson was. But you could orchestrate an offense around him that was very different, that's very stressful on defenses. And that's where his real value is. And if he's healthy, he's still going to be able to supply that for some organization. Yeah, with Cam Newton, the design runs happened in short yardage and goal line situations. A lot of his more spectacular long runs happened when the play broke down. Sure. And he off he went, and he was gone, and you know he had some iconic – and memorable plays. We're going to have a draft coming up in a, about an hour and a half of our most memorable Cam Newton moments with the Carolina Panthers. But, you know, he, he was a guy who, when you got down to the one, when you got to third or fourth and short, he's so big, you just have him go forward. And uh, frankly, I think the fact that 
he looked so indestructible it caused maybe both him and the Panthers to view him as indestructible. And over time, the reality is he was destructed, whether it was a shoulder, an ankle, a foot. That's the problem. Because he looked like a giant and was a giant, I think they they threw caution to the wind a little too often. And it's those injuries that ultimately fueled his exit from Carolina, Chris. Yeah, it, it is. They piled up. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's built like Superman. There's a reason he does that little, you know, pulls his shirt back to act like he's showing his symbol. Uh, yeah, they they used him and abused him in a lot of ways. And you said it. It was short-yarded situations. It was second and three. And we're going to pull the guard and have the fullback and tailback lead up the hole. And Cam Newton's going to be behind them. And he's taking on middle linebackers and putting his head down and shoulder down and driving for extra yards. You know, we talk about Tom Brady being like the the king of the quarterback sneak. Well, if you look at the numbers, Cam Newton's short yardage runs blow that away. That just tells you how many times he's taken some of those hits. But the other thing too, Mike, you know, I know we talk about the physical specimen. You know, the guy can still throw the football. I mean, you know, when healthy, it's a top-tier arm. I mean, he can push the ball down the field. Now, listen, is he Drew Brees? Is he going to surgically dissect you with five- and six-yard passes? No. But the beauty of him is he doesn't need to be that guy. He can run the ball three times in a row, and then, you know, that fourth play, he can drop back and throw a 20-yard missile out route to a receiver, and, and there you go as an offense. So that's the danger of Cam Newton. He makes teams defend the whole field. And then because of the ability to run, he makes defenses play defenses they don't want to play which a lot of times leads it's the Lamar Jackson effect, where then you have to play some simple defensive scheme because you're worried if they do some crazy quarterback run or some crazy design play that, oh, if we blitz or play something crazy, we could get gashed here. So it makes defensive coordinators play very simple that way, and that's another great advantage that's not going to be on the stat sheet that Cam Newton brings to a football team. Before the Panthers made the move to cut Cam Newton, they reportedly had some discussions with both the Bears and the Chargers. I was told last week the Chargers were engaged in a debate internally as to whether they should pursue Cam Newton, but they recognized the difficulties of making a trade happen because of the fact that the COVID-19 procedures prevent teams from bringing players to the facility for an appropriate physical. Look, it's one thing, and I mentioned this a minute ago, but I need to I need to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Yeah. Cam Newton passed a physical on Monday that was conducted by a doctor that the Panthers found in Atlanta where Cam Newton currently is. Well, Newton wants to pass that physical, and the Panthers wanted to pass that physical. They want to clear the decks. They don't want to release him with a failed physical designation and maybe owe him money later this year. They want to set the stage for him to land somewhere else. He wants to set the stage to land somewhere else. So that doesn't mean clean bill of health. That doesn't mean that the Chargers or any other team that would pursue him will look at him and say, he's fine, he passes our physical. He can pass the exit physical in Carolina and fail the entrance physical somewhere else. So don't make yourself conclude that that it's just automatic that someone's going to jump on him now, Chris. Obviously, and you've lived that life. You know how these doctors are. I mean, I'm, I don't want to... I don't want to cast aspersions here, but the doctors ultimately are bought and paid for by the team. They tend to come to the conclusion the team wants them to come to when it's time to uh, administer that physical. There's no question, Mike. I mean, you're spot on. Yeah, the team doesn't want you. Oh, the doctor, you know, you might be a little banged up. Hey, looks good. You're healthy. Yep, he passed the physical. We can, we can cut that guy and we don't have to pay him a dollar. He's healthy. 
Then you go to another team, and of course they're about to invest money into you, uh, like you're just saying. And now the physical examination goes up to another level of you know detail, and the prodding and pulling and testing of joints and you know the the MRIs, all that, to where yeah, now it's a it's certainly a more in depth screening altogether. And yes, you might not pass that, and it's going to be big for Cam Newton. I mean, we know the two injuries he had the last two years. I mean, they're serious. There, there's no doubt. And now it looks like the shoulder was good to go. So hopefully that's, you know, done with and teams don't have to worry about that. But Liz Frank, yeah, you're going to have to do your due diligence on an injury like that. For a 250-pound quarterback who likes to run and stick his foot in the ground and take on middle linebackers and drive them back and move and throw on the run, you, you definitely need to make sure that you have the right people to evaluate that foot to make sure it's structurally strong, nothing's going to happen, and and we can go all systems go going forward. I got another question for you, but before we get to yeah. that, when we do the close-up shot of you, I see it more clearly. What's over your right shoulder? It looks like an unmade bed. Oh, no, it's probably the couch, and I just pushed down some of the pillows. I just didn't want some of the pillows stick up, so I pushed, I pushed them down a little bit so they weren't in the shot. Is that the couch you get sent to to sleep on when you've been a pain in the butt for your wife? No, actually, when my wife, who can snore a little, sometimes I send her out here on this thing right here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, she's been really good lately. I haven't had to do it. But during the season, yeah. I had to send her out here a few times, and she slept out of the yeah, that, that, it's Yeah, it's good she's not sleeping out there during the show, although she wouldn't be sleeping for <laughs> long. Between you and me and the chickens clucking, she'd be up by now. The right. Cam Newton shoulder injury. Remember last year, all that talk about the new throwing motion? That seems like 10 years ago with everything that's happened. But isn't that a concern also? Is the guy really able to throw the ball differently? Is he effective? We didn't see it. He was gone after week two. Remember that Thursday night game? I mean, he played two games in four days. They lost at home to the Rams. And then on Thursday night against the Buccaneers, he looked awful. And we didn't know at the time. They were lying to us about that foot the foot was still messed up. So you really don't have a lot of film you can look to from 2019 to come to any conclusion about where Cam Newton is. All the more reason to bring him in, not just for a physical, but for a workout to see how he throws the ball, to see how he moves. And that may delay this process for as indefinitely as COVID-19 is delaying life for these teams and for everyone else. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Uh, no, we, we didn't get to see a lot of it. And remember, he played up in New England, right, in that preseason game, we, and then he rolled his ankle or hurt his foot there, too. So we never got to see preseason action. Yes, we never really got to see that new throwing motion he talked about, you know, unveiled. Well, we saw it, and what it really was is he went back to his old throwing motion. And there's no, there's no issue with that. You know, listen, he does a lot of good things throwing the football. He puts a lot of stress on his arm sometimes with the way he does it. But I think, you know, if there was real concern about the shoulder, I think you would have heard that in those lead up to that week one, week two game, even late in the preseason where they would have said, man, Cam, you know, rumors would have got out. Cam Newton's arm's not the same. He's lost some pep or he can only throw so many balls in a practice and then he dies out. You know, I didn't hear any of that stuff. And, you know, I, I would think by just what I saw, he's good to go in the shoulder department, but your point still stands, Mike. If I'm a team that's about to throw $20 million or more at him, I want to work him out, watch him throw, make sure that he can really let it go and that there is no uh, nothing holding him back or, or structural damage that might be, you know, hindering his ability to throw at a high level. And, you know, it's possible that we didn't hear much 
about any internal fretting over Cam Newton's shoulder as the regular season approached because it was that seemingly innocuous foot injury against the Patriots that became the Liz Frank problem that ultimately ended his season after the first four days of it, week one Sunday, week two Thursday night, never to be seen again in a Panthers uniform. I mean, in hindsight, think about that. Did any of us have any idea that that was the last time we'd ever see Cam Newton in a Panthers uniform? I remember how bad he looked that night, and I remember thinking, if this guy isn't injured, then he's just done. He's just (laughs) lost it. The good news was that he was injured because it at least provides an explanation for why he was so bad that night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, we're going to take a break. We've mentioned the New England Patriots a couple of times. When we return, Tom Brady made his debut, the former Patriot, as a Buccaneer on a conference call because no one can have press conferences. We'll let you hear some of the things Tom Brady had to say about his former team when PFT Live continues right after this. If you understand sports, then we're doing our job. NBC Sports Radio is back. No, I have have a great deal of respect for, you know, there's nobody who's been a bigger fan of the Patriots than me. So um, I have nothing but total respect and love and uh you know, I'm so grateful to Mr. Kraft and the organization and Coach Belichick and all the coaches and obviously all my teammates. That's Tom Brady yesterday in his introductory conference call with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Chris Sims, I am shocked that Tom Brady said nothing of any real interest or value during his entire conference call. What what a turn of events. The guy who's been brainwashed for 20 years into saying absolutely nothing at any time that anyone is interested in would say nothing at any time yesterday that we'd find interesting. Well, yeah, he, he is a robot that way, you know, but, but in doing it right. And, you know, just sitting there listening to this 30 minute phone press conference, which was weird enough as it is when it's, you know, the most decorated greatest quarterback in the history of the sport type guy doing it on a, you know, a, a phone conference did seem weird. All right. So that was, that was something to get used to. But listen, the one thing that always stands out to me about Tom Brady, he just treats everybody with respect. He says all the right things. He deflects any praise to other people. When he talks about bad things or having to work, he talks about himself having to do what it takes. You know, he's, I understand why Tampa wants him. I do. I get that. He's going to rub off on that locker room. That's the first thing he's going to do. The second thing is, I mean, Bruce Arians, we know he's not there forever, and they want to win right now. And he decided, hey, Jameis Winston ain't going to do it, and I might only coach for two or three more years, so I'm going to go down swinging with one of the best ever. And that's where it fits, and that's why there's a lot of potential, and we're talking about it so much. One of the things we can count on Tom Brady doing in this era of so many people working at home, he will spearhead the effort to get all of his receivers, all of his offensive linemen, everyone on the same page as needed. He'll go through a series of meetings. He'll do a receivers meeting, a quarterbacks meeting, a running backs meeting, an offensive line meeting throughout the course of the day to make sure that everyone's on the same page and they can do it as much as they want on their own. I'm still waiting, Chris for the NFL to announce some alternative plans for the offseason program that revolves around guys being at home, connected by computer, and 
talking and working and studying. But regardless of anything the teams have in place, Brady will be a guy who I am convinced will get everyone on the same page, get them all working with whatever playbook they get from Bruce Arians, whatever film they're able to study, whatever things they're able to do, he will make the most out of it because he's so driven to win. No doubt. And he's going to be even extra motivated because of the, I just left, you know, the New England Patriots and I want to prove that I can win without Bill Belichick and add to my legacy. So that's going to let, you know, lead to a, another level of drive and expectations in his own mind that he's going to be willing to reach. So yeah, that's where it's amazing. And I get why Bruce Arians and, and Jason Light, everybody wanted Tom Brady down there. It's good for business and it does give them a chance to win right now and be something special. We'll see where that goes. Now, I did find it kind of awkward, and I thought the most interesting part, Mike, was when he was asked about Mr. Kraft's comments, right, about Tom wanted this. You know, that was the most awkward part of the press conference to me, and the thing I would still really like to know. You know, did New England not want him? Did Tom not want to go back? We're not really sure how that all unfolded, and I don't know when we will find it. Well, look— Bill Belichick, I, I don't know how much, uh, how much we balance this out. Bill Belichick was ready to move on. Tom is ready to move on. And there yeah. never was an effort by either to move toward each other to break the ice. Both guys kind of wanted this, and neither guy was willing to make the first move to make it not happen. I think that's my read on it. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think both were content or just sick of each other. You know, what, you know Belichick just going, damn, I'm not going to pay him all this money. Uh, you know, in year 20 of his career, Brady just wants to be respected, have fun. I get it. I just think, yeah, it hit, it hit the end of the road and Tom wants a new start. Imagine that becoming sick of somebody that you work with on a regular basis. I can't I can't relate to that. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> I'm take a break and have more PFT Live right after this. lost five yards for having too many commercials on the radio. We'll never do that again. Back to Mike Florio and Pro Football Talk Live right now. Wednesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live on Tuesday's Chris Sims Unbuttoned. Chris Sims, who else? Unveiled his top five quarterback prospects. If you're watching on NBCSN, you see the graphic. Joe Burrow, number one. Justin Herbert, number two. Jordan Love, number three. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, number four. What gives Sims? Jacob Eason, number five. That, that you know, surely the biggest reaction is going to come from the placement of Tua Tonga-Vailoa at number four. Some people still have him penciled in as the fifth overall pick in the draft by the Miami Dolphins. Why did you put him at number four? Well, listen, I, I like Tua. There's a lot to like. I mean, yes, you know, is you know, accurate thrower, you know, good athlete, can move in the pocket, certainly, you know, makes good decisions, and not a guy that's going to throw in a lot of interceptions, sees the field well, okay, all that. But I'm not necessarily sure sitting here going, oh, the way he plays, the style of play is going to translate to the NFL. You know, he's fast, but he's not real fast. And, you know, if anybody watched the pod just in the segment before, you know, he, his size is an issue to me. 
Yes, his injury history is an issue to me. But size, ability to throw in the pocket with people around him, make big throws down the middle of the field with linemen in his face, you're not going to see that. You know, and it's a good arm, but it's not a great arm. And, you know, again, I think you got to be careful when you watch Alabama. It's a very good offense schematically, and it's got the best, some of the best talent you're going to find. I mean, Mike, all three of their receivers that they throw to, like I said, two are going in the top 25 this year. The other kid, number six, is going to be a top 20 pick next year. You know, there's a lot of talent around him. But the size and injury history certainly is going to make me dock him a little bit, let alone, Mike, how many plays I watch on film where the play is over and I go, wait, did he get hurt? Is he hurt? I mean, there's just so many. It's almost like he has a hard time getting out of danger's way. That would concern me. To pick him at number five, man. That would be risky. I'm just not so sure. I, you know, I not sure. I wouldn't feel comfortable with that as a GM. And when he suffered the hip injury during the season, I canvassed between 10 and 15 general managers to get an idea of how this would affect him. And the comments from one still resonate with me today. The idea that he had three lower body injuries at the college level. It is a bigger, faster, more intense game of football when you come to the NFL level. You throw in the fact that he does have these plays where he didn't get out of harm's way. He got hit. Look, it's a basic matter of physics. And uh, uh, what what else? Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Physics and well, physics. Plays- I'll just stick with physics. No, the no, more you get right. hit. The more you get hit, the more you're going to get hurt. That's how it works. So you have to find a way to minimize those hits. And if you're going to have those hits every game where people stop and say, is he going to get up? At the NFL level, you're not going to get up more frequently than you don't get up at the college level. It's that simple. You got to incorporate into the game getting out of bounds, hitting the deck, understanding how your body operates in space with the other bodies around you. And it's funny. And of all people, Chris, the Checkdown account, which is operated by the NFL, had a highlight clip that it put out last night of Peyton Manning doing bootlegs. And the right. one thing Peyton Manning knew better than anything else is where his body was in relation to everyone else's. And he knew instinctively when to get down, when to slide, when to fall, when to avoid taking the hit. Because the more hits you take, the more likely you're going to be hurt and not be able to play for your team. You're hitting on something very important here, no pun intended. Tua takes those hits, and he's fearless about it, but the problem is at the next level, he's going to be not playing more often than he is playing if he keeps taking those hits. No doubt. And again, this isn't about what you watch on film right now. I mean, if you just evaluate the film for what it is, right? I mean, yeah, Tua's the second best watch there is because the offense is wide open, and he's got talent around him, and he throws from a perfect pocket all the time. But the reality is NFL is not like that. It's not. Maybe two or three quarterbacks in the league get that type of protection. He plays very small. And because of that, and the the fact that, you know, you just mentioned he gets swallowed up in the pocket at times, it leads him to dance around, try to make plays, escape the pocket, all of those things. He got away with that a little bit in college, certainly. And he was capable of making some plays. But we saw, yeah, he got swallowed up and hit a whole bunch of times with the law of physics like you're talking about. And I just don't think that style of play is going to translate to the NFL. You know, it's a little bit like, and I want to say this, I like Tua, he's a lefty, I'm rooting for him. Again, this is just my honest evaluation. But I'll go back to somebody like Johnny Manziel. Oh, yeah, he was scrambling all around in college football. 
yeah, that was great. He got to the NFL, and every defensive end ran 4-4 or 4-5. And all of a sudden, you realize, damn, I can't do the stuff I did in college. I'm going to have to sit here in the pocket and make big throws with people around me. I mean, the people we see run in the NFL, they it's Lamar Jackson. He runs 4-2 or 4-3. I mean, that that's the special – that's the type of speed you have to have to make it as a runner in the league. And those are the things that concern me about Tua. There's a lot to like. I get it. But I think there's a huge risk factor here. And I think compared to Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, and uh, Burrow, that, yeah, I think his game projects – uh, the the least to the NFL as compared to those three ahead of them that I got. Let's talk about Justin Herbert. We interviewed him at the scouting combine before you. Uh, 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 how do I put it delicately? Wait, Threw wait, up one, thing, one, one thing real quick, just before you hit that, because too, also look at Kyler Murray. I, this is the comment I wanted to make. Sorry, Mike, the Kyler Murray, right? You look at him and go, well, he's another guy four three. We didn't see a ton of highlights of him just scrambling all over the field last year. Why? Because it's a different animal in the NFL. And Kyler Murray would blow Tua away in a 40-yard dash. So if he's not going to be able to run around and do some of the magic we saw in college, I certainly don't think a guy who, I'm going to say Tua runs a mid to high 4-6, is going to be running around making plays off schedule like that either. Sorry. Okay, back to Herbert. We talked. That's fine. We talked him at the scouting combine. You've got him at number two. Look, I don't know that I would put him at number two simply because he idolized Joey Harrington growing up. To me, that's the biggest <laughs> red flag that I've seen in a top quarterback in years. Sorry, Justin. I'm just giving you my honest evaluation here. You have a more meaningful evaluation than whether or not he was a Joey Harrington fan. What caused you to put him at number two? But, Mike, your point there is still something that's scaring NFL teams about Justin Herbert, and I get it. The fact that he hasn't been outside of Eugene, Oregon, how much does he love football because he had a chance to come out last year and be, you know, probably a top 10 pick, but he stayed in school. You know, so those are the things that concern people. But the talent is off the level. Off, you know, it, it's what do I want to say? The talent is off the charts. Thank you uh, for Justin Herbert. I mean, first off, he has the best arm in the draft. He can make game-changing wow-type throws where you just go, whoa. Like There's just not too many people on the planet that could have fit that ball in there. And that is going to lead to great design. Like, you know, Don't tell me you know, arm strength is not important. I'm so sick of hearing about that. You know, Patrick Mahomes is who he is because his arm is really strong. Aaron Rodgers is who he is. I'm not saying it's the only thing, but it's a great tool for all the great quarterbacks we've ever seen most of them had pretty damn strong arms. And that's Herbert is a different level of thrower. He's a big person. He could throw with people around him and make those 20-yard out route throws with people holding on to his shoulders, and he can do it with ease. He's a phenomenal athlete. I would say when he gets going and opens up, he's the fastest quarterback of everybody uh, in, or the, this top five. And then added to that, you know, when you look at his struggles, the film's not always clean, Mike. But a lot of the things I didn't like about the negative plays on film were, were related to the offense, not Justin Herbert. And that's where I think all evaluators, we got to be careful sometimes. We take the offense and everything that goes on and give the credit or the blame to the quarterback. And I just want to say, listen, if you put Jordan Love or Justin Herbert in Alabama, and if you don't think they would have had unbelievable stats and the game would have looked a whole lot easier, then you're just crazy. You know, Tua had the advantage of being coached by the greatest college coach ever with great talent around him. So, yeah, his game is a little cleaner. Maybe he's ready to go for some of the nuances of the quarterback position. But top end, you know, 
highest ceiling type talent. Yeah, I think Justin Herbert probably has the highest ceiling out of anybody in this draft at the quarterback position. And that's what concerns me about Tua. Back to him for a second. When you have so much great talent around you, maybe you get a skewed representation of how good of a quarterback a guy is because the, the linemen are winning on every play with their blocks. You're getting a great running game because your running back is blasting through the defense. Your receivers are getting open. It's not the same adversity across the board, which makes it easier for the quarterback. And now at the next level, everything gets tougher. It's tougher for the quarterback. It's tougher for all of his teammates. The windows are narrower. The opportunities are fewer and farther between. That's going to be one of the challenges. And look, as it relates to Justin Herbert and that Oregon focus, I... I think there's a positive there as well because wherever he goes, football is going to be all he has. That you know, that's going to be your refuge. That becomes your bubble, and that's Good all point. you do. You throw yourself into it. You're at work. You go early. You stay late. You're used to being in a restricted, right, a restricted range of movement. So it's from the house to the facility, back to the house to the facility, and it's work and it's work and it's work and. I think maybe that'll help him in a weird sort of way. As long as he has the emotional support in place, maybe his parents, you know, travel to wherever it is and get an apartment or a house or live with him wherever he is to help him make that transition. But I think there are ways to do it. And there've been enough guys who have had to do it. There's enough case studies out there that I think if the, whoever takes him, if it's the dolphins at five or someone else, I think if they're smart, they'll find a way to make this transition without it causing him to collapse. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I, I, that, that's a really good point by you, Mike. It is, and, and you're right. If you, you know, again, this is where meeting the player is going to come in handy, and I don't know if that's going to happen here this Oops. year, but that's the thing you want to get a feel for, right? Because then you can go, okay, this kid's a good kid. He loves football. Yeah, so what? He doesn't. He hasn't been around the world or the country. He doesn't care. He just wants to play football, go home, hang out, and that's it. And there's some positives in that. And Mike, back to your tool point with the team around him. Listen. That's why I, I, my evaluation on Daniel Jones was wrong last year. If I had to self-scout myself, like you know I do, and two quarterbacks jump out to me, Daniel Jones and Dak Prescott. And I think I, I looked at those two quarterbacks when I evaluated them and put too much of the blame on them for team and offensive issues. You know, Dak Prescott, yeah, he walked on the field in the SEC and he was on the lesser team almost every game he was in. And then we didn't see any receivers from Mississippi State coming out in the NFL draft. You know, so therefore there was moments in games where it didn't look real pretty. And I put that blame on Dak Prescott, where I should have said, well, oh, there was nobody open. The protection wasn't that great. He was clearly on the, the far worst team on the field that day. And that's where we all got to be careful because, yes, it's going to look really pretty from Tua sometimes. But again, to my to my point originally, you put Herbert or Jordan Love there at Alabama, their film would look a whole lot pretty. You put Tua at Utah State. And make him play in that offense was I. He would throw more interceptions. He would have more mistakes in his game. There's less talent. There's less creativity in the scheme. And I think that's part of the evaluation process with these quarterbacks. We'll have plenty of time over the next 29 days as the draft approaches to talk about the other quarterbacks: Joe Burrow, Jordan Love, Jacob Eason. Let me ask you this though before we take a break: What's the gap between Eason at five and your next guy at number six? Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, so I think there's a significant gap between the top four and then that number five guy. And then Eason, yeah, it's not a huge gap. You know, the next group of guys with the Jalen Hurts and, you know, uh, from, from Georgia, 
you know, uh, there's the kid from Florida Atlantic I like. So I would say there's a little bit of a gap, yes, because Eason has a chance, in my opinion, to be a starting quarterback maybe in the NFL at some point. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I love him. The guys I look after him, I, I want to sit there and go, other than Jalen Hurts, who has potential and a work in progress, the rest of them I go, I think these are career backup guys, guys who could be, you know, top-tier backups but never franchise starting quarterbacks. All right, the draft, as I mentioned, is 29 days away. At least it's scheduled to happen in 29 days. There is a push by some to push it back. We'll talk about that, whether the NFL will actually do it and who wants to see it happen when PFT Live continues right after this. back time to switch from selective hearing to full-on pay attention this is nbc sports radio i'd be personally in favor of of delaying the draft uh, so that we can get some of the work done that that our scouts and 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 our personnel people ordinarily do and then just the logistics of of trying to conduct the draft with with uh uh you know you're not being having not having access to your your draft rooms and your offices you know creates a lot of logistics uh, problems. This is you know, this is not a fantasy draft that uh, um, you, know, you conduct out there with just a list of, of of things on a piece of paper. That's longtime Saints general manager Mickey Loomis on the Peter King podcast, available now wherever you find your podcasts. And Mickey Loomis, Chris, not the only general manager that would like to see the draft delayed. ESPN reported on Tuesday evening that. The general manager subcommittee voted six to one to recommend a delay of the draft because of the inability to get full information due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but also because it's not a level playing field with some facilities subject to closure and a stay at home mandate. So everyone's working at home. Other facilities have some degree of the ability of general managers, executive scouts to go and get that information and work in that setting that Mickey Loomis was talking about. So the NFL, which is rarely proactive and always reactive, apparently reacted to that complaint from the GM subcommittee by issuing an order last night that all team facilities will be closed. So it will be a level playing field. Everyone's forced to work at home through at least April 8th. That's just 15 days before the draft. And as to the suggestion that the draft be delayed, Chris, we saw it happen last week for free agency. They're not delaying anything. They are going to have the stage to themselves, April 23, 24, 25. Nothing else in the sports world is going on. It is an equal hardship for all teams. It's going to be a test for all teams to make chicken salad out of a bad situation. And everyone's got the same hardship, the same advantage, the same disadvantage. I, there's no way they're going to delay the draft. They can crow all they want about it. The general managers, the coaches, the owners, it doesn't matter. They're not delaying the draft. They're going to go forward on the 23rd of April. I guarantee that. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I mean, listen, if I'm a GM or working in the front office, I'm mad. I want the draft delayed. But, you know, Chris Sims here, co-host of Mike Florio on PFD and a football fan, damn, I want that draft to be at the end of April. I do. Yes, we need action. I think it'll be good for our country. I actually think it's going to be really interesting just to watch NFL teams kind of squirm their way through the draft with, you know, some unknowns maybe for the first time. Now, you know, it's, it is tough, uh, you know, to Mickey Loomis's point, I get totally where he's coming from. You know, you were talking about, you know, making million dollar investments into people 
And now you're not going to get a chance to meet some of those people and really figure out who they are. You know, scouts in certain regions, they're not going to get to do all their little due diligence and investigating behind the scenes to go, oh, let me see, you know, Johnny's weight coach and see if I can get some dirt on him to see what he's really like as a person or, you know, Joey's, uh, you know, athletic trainer and see how he acts here accordingly, you know, on a day by day basis. Those are things that are going to go out the window this year. You're not going to have like as in-depth reports on some of these players because of the lack of, you know, personal meeting time here right now. And that is going to make it very hard on some of these front office guys. But, but here's what you do. You take the rules that have been put in place by the NFL and you get creative. This is where we're going to see the difference between the smart organizations and the not-so-smart organizations. Chris, I had this thought, you know, I, they'll go to a convenience store that is in the neighborhood where a player lives, and they'll talk to the clerks. They'll see what kind of a guy. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they do. So what do you do now? You hire an investigator in that city if it's a guy you really want to find out more about. Instead of sending your scout there, you have to get more creative. You have to find other ways to solve the problem. Don't just say, oh, well, we're not going to have the information. You come up with other ways to get the information. You come up with other ways to assess the players. And that's the challenge. And we're going to find out who's good at it and who's not. And the NFL doesn't care. The draft is the ultimate reality show about nothing. They don't care that teams are taking risks. They don't care that they're going to draft somebody who's going to become a bust. They want to make it a show about the process of picking the players. And if anything, the uncertainty this year does make it more compelling. It will. You're right. I mean, I, I would think the odds are that we see more busts this year in the draft because of that. Some, you know, higher pick busts because you might not be able to get to do all the things you talked about. But yeah, you're right, Mike. Teams better get creative. If I'm the NFL head coach and I want to draft like Justin Herbert, let's get on FaceTime and talk for a long time. But I'll be back at PFT with this crazy guy in a few minutes. We're getting Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.